critical thinking comes down to one, the context, context matters, and B, being able to organize and present that context in a way that helps make an actionable decision. Welcome to the Balancing Act Podcast. This is episode number 46. I'm Andrew Tempty, and today we've got Simone Petrella joining us. Simone is a former colleague and is the founder and CEO of cybersecurity workforce development firm, CyberVista. Thank you so much for being here, Simone. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah, it's it's so wonderful to to see you. You know, I left Kaplan uh, earlier in the year, and Cyber Vista has always been uh, a company that's uh, that's near and dear to to my heart. So, you know, thank you for all that you're doing uh, to help make the frankly the world a, a safer place. <laughs> yeah, one uh, one kind of bite of the elephant at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so this is our sixth and final episode in our mini series entitled "Nobody Wants to Think Anymore," uh, which is uh, an exploration of the often misunderstood skill of critical thinking. Uh, today, we're going to you know take the angle of technology and cybersecurity specifically, and along the way, we'll uh, hopefully uh, teach our listeners. Uh, a thing or two about the world of uh, of cybersecurity based on your uh, phenomenal expertise in the space. But before we get started, as always, please tell our listeners your story. Yeah, well, I think my story will probably be applicable to our topic because like many people who have been in cybersecurity for the last 15 years or so, I have no educational background or perspective or experience in the technical computer science or hard science world. I was an international relations major, um, and I went to undergraduate, um, and I got a degree in international relations. And frankly, my entire world started because I was impacted by 9-11. I went to school in Washington, D.C., I was very committed to pursuing a career in national security and counterterrorism. Mm. And that's exactly what I went and and did. I went and worked for the Department of Defense, um, predominantly focusing on counterterrorism and intel. And it was not until I was in grad school and after the fact that I essentially kind of bumped my way backwards into cybersecurity, um, mostly because I was working at a consulting, um, a defense contractor at the time, and they needed folks who had a analytic tradecraft background, um, so the Intel community, and they were trying to apply a lot of the same principles around doing analysis of counterterrorism networks to information security and information assurance. Um, the idea being that they're similar in that they're both transnational threats. They don't have traditional right. geographic boundaries. Um, and so that's where my kind of foray into my story starts is that I was a kind of trained intel analyst with a background in like Middle Eastern studies and international affairs and politics and found myself in the world of computer network operations and information assurance somewhere around 2005. Um, and so had to get a lot of my training and exposure and experience through on the job and learning it as I went. Um, but also realized that in many ways, the skill set that I was coming into the workforce with um, was one that was actually harder to teach than if I had a kind of hard computer science or engineering background. 
Um, and that's because ultimately we were responsible for writing and communicating reports for decision makers that they could do something with. And that meant you had to take technical information and translate it into something usable, um, which is kind of a blend of those two things. So, you know, fast forward after doing that for the better part of a decade, um, I had the opportunity to, as I kind of lived on the forefront of building out cybersecurity teams for most of that time in my career, I had the opportunity to, to lead and kind of found a company, CyberVista, that's focused on this skills gap. And I couldn't take, I could not take the leap. Um, it's yeah. a, it's a challenge that it is so near and dear to my heart because I lived it in my own personal career. I lived it with every single person that came into my door who would say, thank you for these 18 months of experience. Now I'm going to go work somewhere else for 30% more that I can, you know, pay you here. Um, and so this is not a, a new challenge and to have an opportunity to kind of grow a business and tackle this really kind of chronic issue that we have around skills and workforce readiness has just been a complete honor. How, how important, um, was your international relations background to your to your success story? Because I can see why, uh, you know, not growing up with a hard IT background could have somewhat been uh, something that was a challenge that that you had to get uh, get over. Uh, but I would think that. Uh, now that I hear you tell that story, that a lot of the international relations background and your your global uh, view, viewpoint would have uh, really, really been a, a benefit. Do I have that right? Absolutely. I think so. Um, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Um, but the the story I tell, and I think that this is the nature of how things evolve, I think it allowed, it, that gave me a perspective to put things into context. And that's yeah. ultimately, having come out of the intelligence community, that's ultimately what my job was always to do, was to help provide context around some of these major threats that were, you know, attacking in the cybersecurity space and sort of understand, like, how do you prioritize them? And I will never forget, because I think it was early 2006, and I was giving a briefing, and I was giving a briefing to a number of military, um, at the time they were called the G6, which was the IT component of how like military is organized. And I'm giving them a whole kind of list of prioritize, like, here's who you have to worry about that you're your threats. And this is what you're going to think about, you know, kind of impacting your networks. And they laughed me out of the room because they're like, if we see something bad, we just stop it. You know, that was oh. like, that was the perspective at the time. Whereas I'm sitting there going, you can't stop everything. So how, you need to put some context into place in order to prioritize because you don't have unlimited resources to do that. Um, right. And that's just become a bigger and bigger reality as the kind of, you know, the internet's gotten everything more connected, pretty much no company, no organization isn't a tech company on some degree. And you just can't do everything. So kind of context matters. That's kind of the yeah. big takeaway, I would say. Um, and that's no less true in, in kind of the world of cyber than it is anything else. Yeah. So I like to ask this next question of everybody, which is what was that accelerant in your career? Was there just an aha moment that, uh, that, that, that you had where, where the light bulb just went off? Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's kind of a two-parter on an aha moment. I had started, um, working in you know, computer network operation space, again, within the Intel community. And I obviously had left counterterrorism and that was 
you know, maybe the the wrong terminology to do, but that was kind of the, that was like the sexy work to do at the time. Doing anything in information assurance was not. And so I clearly wanted to get back to it, but I was by a mentor and uh, one of my initial managers was given the opportunity to say, you want to stay and do this full time? Like, let's grow this team. Let's do this. And I have this very distinct memory of going home and speaking with some family and friends in vague terms, obviously, because no one could ever knew exactly what I did. But, <laughs> um, you know, I was like, I don't know where this whole computer thing is going. Like, is this really what I want to do? But something told me it was, um, you know, a, a great opportunity to to kind of get an additional skill set. And it was really interesting. And I found it fascinating. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, the groundwork that was the aha moment. But the second aha moment was a year later, or even maybe a little over a year later, um, the U.S. government, um, through the kind of director of national intelligence, passed a massive billions of dollar initiative called the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative. And so in that, I mean, if you want anything that kind of reinforces not only in priority around national priorities, but also in the money that flows down through it, um, it exploded. Like the 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 industry, if you were on the DOD and the the military um, kind of you know industrial base side, it just cybersecurity became the thing to do. Um, and so, in many ways, I would say that was really the the biggest moment where all of a sudden it's like this is this is national level attention. This is you know all the way up to the president, um, a high priority action item. And you know I had been sitting right there. Yeah. Right place, right time, but paying mm-hmm. attention. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we're we're here to talk about critical thinking. We've already we've already uh, alluded to the concept uh, several times in in the setup here that we've done. But uh, what does critical thinking mean to you? Um, I think critical thinking, and I say this as a you know former Intel analyst comes down to one, the context, context matters, and B, being able to organize and present that context in a way that helps make an actionable decision. So it's really linking all the chains of things into a reaction and order and be able to present that. So it's kind of taking disparate pieces of information, making an assessment and being able to convey and communicate that assessment in the form of a recommendation. Um, and that has to be compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the, the action piece that, yes. uh, th- so the context is important, but then, then the action piece that that's, uh, that that's really cool. Uh, what about a story or two, uh, of a time in your career when critical thinking was absolutely essential to either a success or the uh, avoidance of a, of a horrific failure? <laughs> um, well, I, uh, I guess maybe it's, I'll answer the second question first. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I had a team of Intel analysts that were all focused on cybersecurity and protecting, in essence, the Department of Defense information grid. And that kind of spanned a number of things. And so in finding the right staff and the right people to fill those roles was a big challenge. One, because of the mission space. Two, because there was a clearance. And three, because people didn't really understand what does it mean to do analysis in the context of this somewhat technical field of study. And as it relates to critical thinking, um, 
I had a 0% success rate of taking someone with a, you know, only a cybersecurity computer science or engineering background and turning them into an analyst. Mm. But I did have success turning people who had what I would consider to be very strong critical thinking skills. And by the way, this is not to say that computer scientists don't have strong critical thinking <laughs> skills, but it, sometimes it's also yeah. desire. But people who had history, biology, journalism degrees, pre-law, and teaching them those technical skills in order to, to kind of get them to the point where they could actually produce reporting and deliverables that made sense. And so I think critical thinking is kind of a core component to the success of if you're going to do anything that's analytic um, in any field, kind of having that starting point was A, the avoidance of kind of a complete failure as well as, well as the ability to make sure that we were successful in the types of recommendations that we were you know, ultimately making and presenting to our key customers. Yeah. So during during my time at Kaplan, you know, Brandon Bustide and I would, uh, you know, we'd talk routinely about uh, the liberal arts and uh, how that terminology gets such a bad rap uh, and and needs a needs a needs really needs a rebranding. But uh, you know, you're 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 giving us yet another example of where the liberal arts can really be a strong gateway into uh, in, into uh, uh, careers that, on the surface, you would say, does A and B really go together? But at the end of the day, uh, it it uh, that li that liberal arts background really does matter. Yeah. The other thing I will say, and I think that this is, you know, I'll 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 tell the story in terms of um of kind of the context of what I did, but I think it applies to the comment you just made, which is, you know, when um when we would train new analysts coming on board. One of the things that was really important in all of the intelligence community, not just cybersecurity, is to under understand the intelligence life cycle. And that's not only where do you get the raw information that you're using to kind of connect those dots and those different puzzle pieces and put them together and make an assessment, but it's also understanding what is the objective that you are trying to help move towards by kind of researching and providing a set of recommendations or analysis on that particular area. And that's an area, and that's even within the liberal arts where people can get very lost because if they don't know, we want to achieve a certain objective, how do we think through this problem in a way that helps us execute on that? Because otherwise, it's very easy to get A, so down in the weeds that you learn a lot of interesting information, which is wonderful, but it doesn't actually help us kind of get to the end goal there. Um, or you just kind of move into a different direction and we have distracted ourselves from the objective that we were initially pursuing. Right, right. So we, we have the distinct uh, benefit here of, you know, you've, you've got this wonderful, wonderful background uh, but you're also a chief executive, so I want to tap into that experience as well. So, in your day to day, as the as a chief executive of a, of a very important uh, business, what does critical thinking look like in action for you as a senior executive? Yeah, I think it's a combination of understanding how to collect all the disparate information that I'm getting from the stakeholders internal to my company that want to achieve certain objectives? How do I distill those into things that can actually be prioritized? 
and also managing the expectations of our investors and the things that are you know important to them from a business perspective. And ultimately, that has to shake out into a set of priorities. And as I'm, I know you are aware of in your time at Kaplan, um, there's not unlimited resources to do everything we want to do when we think about that overarching vision. Um, and so critical thinking is pretty much I would say like the number one thing that is just a constant requirement because you're kind of balancing the amount of times it's like, it'd be great if we did, you know, initiative A, wouldn't that be that, wouldn't that be cool? And I say, I would say, yes, they would to everything, but we can't do everything. Um, and so being able to, to kind of take all that information and kind of make a, a determination on, okay, well, what's going to get us not only the best bang for our buck, but give us the best return or put us in the best position to position us for where we want to move um, as we think about executing on our vision. Those are all things that are pretty much part and parcel of kind of my everyday role as an executive. Well, th thank you for punching that point because, you know, I, I, I talk to young folks uh, all, all the time that want to I shouldn't say young folks that that makes me sound like I'm old, which <laughs> I, I suppose I am in relative terms to some people, but I feel uh, 21 today. So let's just go with that. There you go. Stick yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll stick with that. But uh, I, I appreciate you uh, really hitting that hard because if you aspire uh, wherever you are in your career, to move up the ladder, to one day be the chief executive or in the C-suite. I agree with you. Critical thinking is either number one or very, very close uh, to, to the top of the list. So, so thank you for that. Um, so now, given your background in education and, and the cybersecurity spaces, what advice do you have for educators and by an extend as an extension business leaders to move the needle on what, for lack of better terminology, we'll call critical thinking literacy across the, the their organizations. Yeah, it's and by the way, it is the number one um, skill. Like when we talk to employers and corporations and organizations, like what do you need in your cybersecurity workforce? Soft skills, critical thinking, and communication are almost always the top three, not hard technical skills. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of emphasizes the point when you think about like what should educators be focused on. Um, there's a lot of talk in, in our industry in cybersecurity around the fact that a lot of the jobs that are open that are unfilled today don't require an undergraduate degree. And that is true to and to a point. My kind of, you know, foot stomp or, or my perspective on it is it's understanding if you are asking for a degree, why are you asking for a degree specifically? If it is a purely technical role, then, you know, whether you want the degree from a level of training or expertise or whatever else it is, that's one thing. But if it's just generic, we want someone to have a BA or a BS or some sort of undergraduate degree, a lot of times what I hear when you start to dig into those conversations is it's actually about the kind of tangential skills that you acquire or the perspectives that you get through that undergraduate experience, which kind of end up getting wrapped up into this term of like critical thinking. It's yeah. have you had to be put through your paces to sort of do a lot of research and find information and write it into a term paper? And can you communicate that and convey it to a professor 
And have you been able to have an experience in working with group projects? So it's that sort of, you know, it's like that whole experience that sort of gets distilled down into, we want a BA for this role, or we want a BS for this role. Um, and I think that that does a disservice to it on both the employer side, because it's like, what do you really want? You want you're, What you're looking for are those intangibles that often come out of a four-year degree program. And then as an educators, it's maybe less around the degree itself or the you know, the, the major. And it's more around what do you actually have, like what are your students getting exposure and experience in doing when they're with you for those four years? Because those are life skills. Yeah. I, I, I wish we had uh, another hour to, to talk about this because you're, you know, you're hitting on something that's very near and dear to my heart is that underlying why do we convince ourselves that the degree equals a strong portfolio of quote unquote soft, soft skills? Uh, the two are, I think, correlated, uh, but, uh, but there's, you know, this, that we we face this that we face a throughput issue. Uh, they're just uh, to to get enough people into the workforce with the skills that we're talking about. Colleges, universities don't have the throughput uh, to do that. So we need alternative ways to be able to show uh, those uh, the the acquisition of those uh, uh, the the acquisition and the validation of those skills. And that's something that uh, that that I'm working uh, really hard on, and I know you are too. Uh, but uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a big deal for yeah. the relevance of humans in the in the workforce for the future mm -hmm. absolutely yeah so let's drill into the world of technology and cybersecurity. now uh, what advice do you have for so let's assume that you've got a cybersecurity professional sitting right in front of you right now uh, what do you tell them to hone their technical uh, their critical thinking skills yeah, I'd say the biggest thing comes down to the concept, um, especially this is true in cybersecurity in particular, of what does it take if you have to present something as a business case for buy-in? So you, especially in our world of cybersecurity, you're a cost center, right? So there's kind of the business perspective, like you're not often thought of a revenue contributing part of the business. And so you're going to ask for money to do something at some level that someone's going to say, I'm going to get no money out of, and you're going to try and tell me by spending this money, it will save me some unknown amount of money I didn't lose. It's like a, like a negative ROI <laughs> or reverse <laughs> ROI, right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that you can't calculate. And so, but that being said, you know, trying to piece together, like making the case to say, by doing these things, these are important technically but also in the context of the business and understanding, I think on the critical thinking saying, how do you make the link between what you want to do from a technical or a security control perspective to what impact do you expect it to have on the business? What is it going to protect? Why is that more important than other things that you could have chosen to implement? Why is this the low hanging fruit versus something that's maybe a longer term initiative? And I think that's, kind of true, even for non, you know, you don't have to, you can be at the more entry level. Everything is ultimately around making a business case because you are trying to sort of show that you're going to make your position and the work that you're doing more effective. So what I'm hearing you say is that storytelling and perfecting one's storytelling skills 
is essential and uh, and a stepping off point to really honing your critical thinking skills. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've never thought of it as storytelling, but it is. Um, that's a really good way to put it. You know that when you're trying to to sort of make a compelling proposition around something, you are telling a story. You have to gain buy-in from someone. And that means that they have to buy into your story. They have to believe what you're saying. Um, And then how do you make that compelling enough that they go, oh yeah, we really should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Storytelling is, uh, is at the top of, if, if you forced me to sit down and, uh, and create the top 15 skills of the future, storytelling uh, would, uh, would absolutely be in that list. My, yeah, my, we should go back to the days of Homer and like Odysseus. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, so now you've got that same cybersecurity professional in front of you. What's the skill right below that? You you already alluded to communication, so maybe uh, you've already seeded the the answer here. But what's another skill that's just absolutely essential for a cybersecurity professional to strengthen? Yeah. So communication for sure, but I, I won't, I won't rest on that laurel. Um, so I won't let you give me the easy, the easy way out. Um, then the other one is collaboration, um, to be effective in, you know, a technology field and to be effective in cybersecurity. It is a incredibly collaborative, um, world by design, but it's also in order to actually have your security go from when you kind of first provision someone access to something through actually monitoring behavior on a network, those are usually different individuals or you're dealing with different vendors. And so if you're not able to not only communicate and articulate, but work across those kind of functional specialty areas, you're not going to be able to achieve a more secure environment. Because if you don't know how to kind of work with your peers, then you're just going to either miss out on information or you're going to miss the ball in certain areas. And so I'd say collaboration without a doubt. Yeah. Who to thunk? We've got to learn to understand each other and we've got to learn to work together in uh, through difficult circumstances. Gosh, it sounds like our politicians could uh, learn something from this. <laughs> no. Anyway, we're, we're not going to get political today. Um, I can tell you a, a story about it though, from my consulting days. And it was on the commercial sector. We were, I was working with, um, a, a client that had suffered a, a major breach and gone in after the fact to try and figure out how they could sort of optimize their security position and posture and team um, to, to not only clean up what had happened, but prevent something as catastrophic as this had been moving forward. And what we found, um, just as an example, was that there were two cybersecurity teams, one that did vulnerability management. So that's kind of like looking at the inside of your network saying like, where are the holes? Like, what do we know we have to fix? And then the other side was looking at the the actual kind of monitoring of network traffic saying, oh, here's things going in and out. Do we see any behavior that's wrong? They sat in the same kind of corridor of the building in a hallway directly across from each other. Not only did they not know that each other team existed in the other room across the hallway from each other, but their badges were not coded to access each other's like wow. rooms and workspaces. And so, you know, like I kind of used to joke, like in the consulting world, like cybersecurity is a little bit like marriage counseling. It's like, you kind of got to talk to each other first before we can start to fix any of your technical problems. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing up marriage counseling because that 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 was uh, uh, all of the human skills that we that we talk about. Um, you know, they they are alluded to and discussed in different ways in marriage counseling, but it's it's amazing how. Uh, the direct parallels that you can draw uh, from yeah. <laughs> from the human to human counseling that you do with a loved one uh, into into the world of work. The parallels are just yep. they're, they're amazingly similar. But again, we we don't have an, another hour <laughs> to go into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but before we do go, uh, uh, just give us a little bit of insight into where CyberVista is going and how it's making an impact on a topic that keeps many of us up at night. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. For, thank you again for having me. And this has just been such a fascinating conversation. Um, I think one of the things we're most excited about at CyberVista is that we're really to to kind of your passion area, Andy, taking um, a, a look at kind of data and how can we use a measurement of the starting point of where someone is on hard skills, use that to provide recommendations and a prioritized kind of roadmap to where there needs to be upskilling relative to the role that they have to perform, right? So not just a generic set of skills, but if you're going to serve in a particular role within an organization, what does that need, what does that need look like? What skills do you have to acquire and demonstrate and then once you've actually kind of gone through whether it is training, whether it is on the job experience, how do you use that same baseline data to you remeasure and you start to actually chart progress over time? Um, and the idea being that, you know, we're working on that level, mostly with organizations and our clients are less around the individuals, but it's how can organizations and agencies and companies step up to be a more proactive participant in the skills that people need to acquire to be in the right jobs at the right place with the right skills. Because I think it's a sort of disservice to ask the individuals to sort of figure it out when the jobs are kind of being created on the fly in real time. Right. In the in in the work on the work side, right? On the in the industry side, not the the kind of training or the academic side. Yeah. Well, that that is uh, that is just super cool. That you know, the I, I I talk a lot about skill inventories and getting rid of the uh, annual performance review cycle, uh, weaving that into the flow of just day to day business, getting feedback, um, performance feedback in the flow of business, but replace the annual review with more of an annual skill inventory skill gap conversation that leads to learning uh, opportunities for the individual because there's nothing that says uh, if you step back there's nothing that says that I care more about you as an employee than if I than if I actively invest in your future through uh, through education so uh, thank you for yeah exactly you've you've punched many points uh, <laughs> uh, for for uh, for me today so Simone it was a absolute pleasure having you on the show today thank you so much for being here my name is Andrew Tempty this is the Balancing Act podcast you can find us on all the major podcasting services you can find us at andrewtempty.com as well please like subscribe and rate and we will see you next time.